So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into uh, this parable this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you're a God that uh, is one who warns us. Uh, You know uh, what the courses can be that we take, uh, we might take, and uh, you put up road signs warning us, and we're thankful. And uh, this is one of those uh, passages that's just a reminder for all of us, and so may we be warned by it and uh, learn from it, and this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. You look at the notes that we have, uh, Luke uh, 12, verses 1 through 40. That is not how long the parable of the rich fool is. The parable itself can be found in uh, verse 15, or excuse me, 16, all the way down to verse 21. But my initial reaction, just knowing in the head what I'm going to be hitting, it was like, okay, this will be fairly easy. It's, you know, the story, a guy coming up and he's wanting his inheritance divided to him. But in studying this out, it's, it's a much broader section that the Lord throws the parable into. It's designed to be taken all of the 40 verses together uh, and the parable being a part in all of this. Um, It starts uh, with a couple of warnings, we'll see that, but it also has, it starts with the idea of worrying, being anxious, and then at the end of it, it has, in in verse 40, worrying as a part of this and being anxious about things. So there's kind of this bookend that contains all that's going on here. But uh, what we start off with in this section is two warnings and one of them doesn't quite seem to be connected to the rest of the story, but it is. You have these two warnings, and the the first one is to beware of hypocrisy. You're going to find two bewares, okay, that the Lord uses in this. And I just want us to go through the first one. Uh, We'll read through it, not spend much time on it, just because it is not the most important element of this, but it is important in understanding the thinking of where the Lord's going and where he's heading. First one says this, in the meantime, when there were gathered uh, an innumerable multitude of people insomuch that they trod one upon another, quite the crowd, I mean, this is, you know, not even elbow to elbow, it's, you know, whatever. Uh, you just don't want to be close to people, and that's how close you would be. But anyhow, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known, Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that to which ye have spoken in the ear in the closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I forewarn you that uh, whom ye shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Uh, but even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. And we might say, hair. <clears throat> also I say unto you, whoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you into the synagogues and into the magistrates and powers, take ye no thought 
uh, or what thing ye shall answer, or what ye shall say, for the Son, or the, excuse me, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. And the idea of take no thought as you come in the synagogue is once again this word anxious, worry. That we would, that's how we would translate. It doesn't mean be careless. Okay. But as you read the, the notes there, it just simply says this. Jesus issues a warning about the Pharisees who do things as a display of their righteousness, and I put it in quotes, because righteousness is not just outwardly, it's inwardly. They make a display of their righteousness, but do the opposite in secret, okay? Uh, it's all about the false front for them. They want everybody to see that, not the actual thing that's going on. They speak against Christ, and they will go after his followers. Now, this is uh, what he's beginning to just kind of deal with. Here you got these individuals that declare that they're followers of God, that they're righteous, and that they are doing the work of God, and yet they're going to be the very first ones to go after both Christ, and as Jesus promised in John chapter uh, 15, 16, 17, that the world would go after his followers. If they've gone after me, they're going to go after you. These individuals that claim to have a righteousness and do the opposite in secret are going to be the very ones that lead out in the pursuit of the followers of God. But God says, don't worry. Okay, on two accounts, he says, don't worry, don't be anxious. If I'm one who takes care of sparrows and I keep count on the numbers of your head, and you're saying the hair, numbers of my hair aren't all that important, but for some it may be. You know, there, there's, you know we're, we're losing them faster than we realize. But whatever the case, if he keeps track of those things, aren't you worth more than that? I mean, birds that are, in this case, you would be saying that you could buy for you know, a couple of dimes you know, in our culture. Uh, God keeps track of them. Are you not more than them? And then this, when you go and are drawn before crowds, uh, the magistrates, the synagogue, and others, and you're called to give an account of why you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Lord says, don't worry. Okay? It'll be fine. I'll give you the Holy Spirit that will give you the things that you ought to say in that time. So don't be anxious of what you're going to say there, because I'll give you the Holy Spirit to take care of these things. So, the idea of worry, anxiety, right there in this thing. So, okay, start off point. So while Jesus has got this, you know, you know, shoulder to shoulder crowd, and he's telling people, beware of the hypocrisy, which it is very easy to be hypocritical. We like putting on a, a false front for people. But it is a dangerous thing. You go, really? Think about this. Is hypocrisy a really great sin? Think about in Acts chapter 5. The first two people that we have die in church. What was their sin? It was hypocrisy in the fact that they hid the amount of money that they had and they said, oh, we sold this land for this amount and we're giving everything. No, they didn't. And God, you, know, you go, wow, that's, God takes it seriously, but he is not wanting a false front on people. Because what it is, it's destructive, because you want the work of the Holy Spirit going on on the inside and things going on here and on the outside, not this false front that's trying to impress people and there's nothing going on in the inside. It can be ruinous to even a church body. So here you have beware of hypocrisy. <clears throat> 
But then you have a second warning that takes place, and it's when he's shoulder to shoulder with people, one finally gets up to him and has the ability to blurt out this. Verse number 13. One of the company, one of the people that were there, said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14, he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Here you have beware of covetousness. A man approached Jesus and demanded that Jesus make his brother give him his inheritance. What the situation is, more than likely, fathers died, the older brother's in charge of the inheritance. Okay, he's the, we might say, the executor of the estate for those that you know, have had to go through this process. They're, he's the executor of the estate, how it's handed out. And so this is the responsibility brother. And what would happen is that the oldest brother would get uh, a double portion of what would be handed out. So if you had two brothers, the eldest brother would get two-thirds of what the father had, and the other son would get one-third. That was just the way it worked. Or if you had four brothers, you'd have uh, brother, one brother getting half and the other two brothers getting a quarter. I mean, that's just the way it would work. And so it seems like this man has had his brother who's kind of delaying and giving him what's rightfully his. And what he's gotten to the point is, is that he's angry with his brother and is now demanding someone do something about this. Now, we had an interesting question this morning. Somebody said, is it wrong to say this is something that's legitimately mine and, and try and go through the process of taking care of things? The answer is, okay, yeah, there are things in life like that. It's not saying here, don't, you know, don't go about taking care of matters and saying, okay, this stuff needs to be sped up and, and even cases like uh, you know, this inheritance, okay, is there something going on here? Can you take care of this? I mean, we've all been through a process like this in life. He's not saying that that's bad. What's wrong with this man is that he's not going, could you fix the situation because it's unfixable? The Lord is simply looking at his heart and going, he's a man who is going, if I can get the inheritance, I'll have everything that I need in life. This is what will make me happy. And and the fact is, is that he doesn't have it right now. The Lord hasn't in his timing given it to him yet, and it burns him. It's a burning desire. I must have this, because this is what's going to be the answer to all of my problems. You say, why did he go to Jesus? Well, you have in your notes there, he heard the claims of Jesus to be the Messiah, the Christ. The Messiah was going to be a judge. Psalm 72 makes this very clear that he was going to be a judge, And so perhaps this man's thinking, well, here's this Jesus. He can do this. But he's not viewing Jesus as a teacher. He's viewing Jesus as a servant to him. You do this for me, okay? Middle of a crowd, everybody's there, and he's coming up and going, you need to take care of this. Someone suggested the fact that he's a man who expects other people to do things for him already, And since his brother's not doing these things, he's going, okay, well, I'll go to this person and demand of them that they do this for me. He's not viewing Jesus as a teacher, but as a servant. Jesus declared that he would not make a decision in this family matter. And you're going, well, wait a second. Could Jesus have made a decision? The answer is absolutely. He's God. 
Has God been making decisions since the beginning of time and before that? And the answer is yes. Uh, we looked at Genesis chapter 18 a couple weeks ago, and you have Abraham who is going before God, and he makes this statement, will not the judge of all the earth do right? I mean, he's seeing God as an arbiter already there. And you go throughout the scripture, you find that God is judge, and you read through the scripture, one day Jesus will be judge of the nations, and then eventually at the great white throne judgment, he'll be the judge. So it's not that he doesn't have the right to be able to judge, he just is simply going, I am not going to make a decision about these material matters, these physical matters, I'm not here to deal with that. You go, what is he here to deal with? He's here to deal with spiritual matters, spiritual things. So he says, I'm not, you know, going to do this, but then he turns to the crowd, and and he didn't catch this in that statement. In verse 15, he said unto them, not to him, to them. So he turns to the crowd, and he says, you all need to beware of covetousness. I mean, this man's got a problem, but you've all got kind of the same problem that you need to beware of in your own heart. You've got a heart that loves to covet. You go, I don't see it as a big problem well, I would say this. Think about the Ten Commandments, and you get to the end of the Ten Commandments. And it was always one that kind of bothered me that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And the last one is this, thou shalt not covet, and it goes through a whole list, a laundry list of things that you're not supposed to covet. And you're going, well, coveting's not all that bad. It's just merely a you know, it's an inward attitude. It doesn't, you know, I'm not doing anything outwardly to somebody else. uh, And I really don't need to worry about covetousness. And covetousness is desiring something that God hasn't given you yet and making that your burning passion in life. Because what happens is if you're covetous, you'll also excuse away other things. You'll reason out in your mind, it's okay. I just thought, I was thinking about this. Okay, here you got a man who's saying, my brother's not giving me what I deserve. You know what? I really, really want this you know what? What if I kill them? Then everything would be mine. I mean, covetousness is the, the gateway, not the gateway drug, but the gateway thing that opens up everything else. Um, you, you have the, the you know, certain situation of, uh, think about David and Bathsheba. He lusts after somebody else's wife, and you eventually would have what happens in this. He's covetous for this, and he's willing to murder, to lie. So covetousness, if we're going, there's something in life that I have to have and I will not be happy until I have it. It's a dangerous thing because it'll lead us to do things that we would not do normally. So this is why the Lord's saying, beware of covetousness. You may not think it's all that bad because it's going on in your heart that you're going, I really need this stuff. And so he warns the crowd and this was the man's problem. He was covetous. It's a problem for many people. They think, and you have the blank here, they think that the most important thing is to have material possessions. If I just had this stuff, I'd be okay. They set their affection on earthly things. Kind of go, okay, well, the Lord could have just left it at that and, and warn, warn people, but he decides to tell a story. And this is where the parable comes in. The parable of warning you find in verses 12 through 16, Jesus tells this parable, and it just simply reads this way. He spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man. Now understand, he's already rich. Okay, that's important in this parable. 
He's already rich, brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Yeah, the story, man, uh, is in this story is a rich man. Now, that's important because in Jewish culture and even in modern culture, there is a thought process that if a person has a lot of money, then God is happy with them. You say, where'd the Jews get this from? Uh, you have uh, the blank there. They, they got this kind of idea of building off of Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is the section where it has the blessings and then the cursings. And it was for the nation of Israel where it said this, listen, if you are going to be my people, then act like my people. And if you act like my people, I'll give you blessing. If you don't act like my people, because you've made this covenant with me at Mount Sinai, then what I'm going to do is bring cursing. So in the Jew's mind, it just became a blanket thought process that people who were rich were blessed by God. People who weren't somehow weren't right with God. We have the same type of thing in our culture. You have a whole culture in Christianity that's the health, wealth, and, uh, the health and wealth gospel that simply say this, that if you're right with God and you're doing good to him, you're going to have good health, you're going to have a good car, you're going to have a nice house, you're going to have the best of clothes, and if you just have to be right with God and you'll get all these things. And so when Jesus tells this story about a rich man, He's already rich. They're already thinking, okay, this is a man who's right with God. God's happy with him. But you get into the story, you have this individual, he's rich, he had an abundant crop and considered what to do. Now, the Lord's not talking about the evils of planning. You know, hey, I don't plan for anything because the Lord says you make plans and you're going to (laughs) die. And some people have taken it this way. No, what he's saying is simply this. It's, it's okay to make plans. But there's a problem with his plans. And it comes with, and you can see it in all of, the abundance of the heart, the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. I want you to go through and count how many times in this section it says, I and my. I just want you to do this. Go, go through and take a look at your scripture. In the English text here, how many times do you see I and my? Somebody got a good guess? Six, nine, seven. seven. I, I counted it multiple times and I came up with 10. Okay, the first time I got six and I realized I skipped a verse and whatever and I was like, okay, and I went through. It, it's, it's 10 times. 
I mean, this man has, you see there, he has 10 times, that's the blank that's there. He's got an eye problem. His problem is not the planning. It's a problem with planning that's disconnected from things that he should be connected with. At the top of your page, here is his problem. His problem was that he did not keep the two great commandments. What are the two great commandments? Okay, love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. He's missed both of them. See, what he's come to is he looks at his life, he did not love God because everything, and here's the blank, everything centered around himself. Instead of understanding that this whole universe is centered around God, his problem is he's got it centered around himself. I'll build this, and I'll build this, and I'll build this, I'll do this, and eat, drink, and be merry. Now, is it wrong to eat, drink, and be merry? No. And can you think of a book that deals with the subject of eat, drink, and be merry? You hear it repeated several times in the book itself. Ecclesiastes. See, Ecclesiastes is a book about living life, but it's with a focus on God really does exist, that he plays a role in my life. He's just displaying on a, on a, a grand scale what the fear of the Lord's like. It's not that I'm walking around going, you know, please don't, you know, please don't zap me, you know, this type of thing. The fear of the Lord is simply going, God really does exist. He's created this world and the stuff and even the days you know, there's a season for everything under heaven. He's created the days and what I'm going through, and he's arranged this, so I ought to figure out what he, wants, what he wants me to do with this. And sometimes it's just for us to eat, drink, and be merry, to enjoy the bounty that God has given to us. Problem is, is that many, of a, you know, many people are, I enjoy the bounty all the time, and you're going, no, that's not probably what you ought to be doing all the time. But you're doing this in the will of God. And so his problem is that his first commandment, he's not considering God because he views himself as the center of everything. But the second commandment he fails at, and you have this, he did not love his neighbor because he did not consider what to do with his abundance in relation to others. You know, hey, I've got this extra stuff. I got this bounty. Maybe I could share it with people who are in need. Lord's been good to me, so I'll be good to others with this. I mean, there's no, no, no thought of this. He's already rich. He's already got everything he needs. It's not that he was you know, barely making it and he finally has an abundant crop. No, he's a rich man. But he's not willing to love his neighbor because he's going, this is going to make me, you know, this stuff is going to make me the happiest I've ever been, uh, more abundantly so, and he's never put a thought about God and he's never put a thought about his fellow man. Zero. So that's the issue. The rich man did not realize that he was merely a, and here's the, the, the proper thought of this, that he's merely a steward of his possessions. Okay, that's the blank that's there in the second paragraph. He's merely a steward of his possessions. He's not the one that owns those possessions. You go, well, yes, he does. No, he doesn't. You know, I, I joke about this sometimes. We always talk about we own a house. 
<laughs> Most of us don't own a house. <laughs> the bank owns the house. Uh, we're just merely making sure it's well used and, and being taken care of. Um, some may own their house, uh, but it's rare, okay? But we're steward of everything we have. None of our possessions are technically ours. You go, how do I know that? Because when you die, it goes to somebody else. It's not really yours. So the, the, the proper view of life is going, I've got these possessions and I'm a manager of this, much like Joseph was a steward of everything in Potiphar's house. If Potiphar had been a self-centered, or excuse me, if Joseph had been a self-centered man, he would have been, okay, I can go out with this man's wife, I can steal his goods, and it'll be okay, uh, and that, but he realized he's a steward. It's not his possessions. He's just there to manage and make sure it goes well, uh, and eventually God was able to trust him with what happened in Potiphar's house, and he's able to then have a stewardship for the whole nation of Egypt, He's given their goods to take care of, to distribute and use uh, as a governor of the people for the people. Uh, he's a steward. I mean, this rich man did not realize he was merely a steward of his possessions. He was a fool. You go, why? Who has ignored God. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. He's going about life I don't have to worry about this. God's not even a factor in what goes on here. I'm just going to live my life out however I want. And the answer is, well, yeah, you, you live your life, but God plays a role in this. He does exist. You do have responsibility to him. He's the one who said, I'll let you live here with these things and these things that I'm giving you and the bounty I'll take care of you with day in and day out. Sadly, this man would lose his life. And the question is, what will his material possessions mean then? Nothing. The world knows this. You can't take it with you. I mean, they even understand this concept. But the problem is, is they live as not understanding this concept that there's something more valuable than just what is here as far as the possessions. And that's the problem for this rich man. He doesn't realize anything beyond this life. He doesn't realize there's something outside of this life uh, that there's a God that's there. So then you have this lengthy section where Jesus turns to his disciples and begins to teach them specifically on a right attitude towards the things of this life, the possessions of this life. Look at verse 22. He, he turns to his disciples, said unto them, he says this, therefore I say unto you, take no thought. Here's that phrase again, take no thought. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Okay? Don't be anxious uh, for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on, that life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment, clothing. Uh, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, taking thought, can add a cubit, or add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be, uh, be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, 
O ye of little faith. I mean, think about this. The Lord takes care of really, well, brainless plants. Okay? Plants don't have brains. And then you have birds that are, we would sometimes say, they're bird brains. You go, why? Because they don't put stuff in the storehouse and God still takes care of them. I think about this every time I put the bird feeder out and I'm going, I'm God's providence for these birds. You know, they don't take care of themselves and so God has human beings that come along and try and take care of them and, and sometimes they're entertained by them. But God takes care of all of those. So if God takes care of those type of things and you're created in his image, do you think God's going to take care of you on this earth? And the answer is, Amen. yeah, he'll take care of you. You, you don't need to have abundance of stuff for you to be taken care of. And so when you have this statement, this paragraph says, Jesus was not saying that possessions were wrong. What he taught was the disciples that, excuse me, what he taught his disciples was that a focus and a worry about goods alone was wrong. He gave illustrations of things which God takes care of. The world worries about possessions, but God knows exactly what each person needs. You know, there's certain things that God doesn't get for you because you don't need them. I'm never going to get scuba gear. You go, why? Because I don't like swimming in deep waters. He's not going to give that to me. It's not a part of my personality. Now he might, and it'll be distributed to somebody else. But the fact is, there's a lot of things in life we don't have because we don't need them. Amen. We just plain old out and out don't need them. Uh, it's not that we should be comparing ourselves to everybody else and go, I got this and you don't, ha, 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 you know, look at me. No, God goes, you need this and this and this for where you're at and what you're doing. Um, and it's not that possessions are wrong. I mean, this is the confusion that you had with the monastic system uh, back in the Middle Ages where uh, they were told, if you want to really serve God, sell everything, give it away, and go and live in complete poverty, and then you'll be close to God. And you're going, okay, well, they missed a passage of Scripture. Because right after the passage in 1 Timothy 6 where it says the love of money is the root of all evil and many, you know, and you go through the whole thing that they fall in destruction, perdition, and drown themselves in many sorrows. I mean, that, that whole passage. Right after that, if you follow about three or four verses later, the Lord says something to the rich. And he says you need to be rich towards God, but he doesn't say anything about selling possessions. He's saying you need to learn how to use those possessions in a way that glorifies God that helps others and glorifies God and brings glory to him. You do that. Just figure out how to do that. It doesn't say, give up all your wealth. And there's not this belief in communism where everybody's got equal pay and everything. The Lord's not promoting that. He's just simply saying, some people are given more, some people are given less, but everybody's going to have exactly what they need. And we hate that because we're kind of going, if I just had more. I just spent time in, in Cleveland, Ohio over the weekend, and if you know anything about Cleveland, Ohio, there's a person who has their stamp on that city. Lived back in the 1800s. You know his name, John D. Rockefeller. He lived on the oil industry, and he was the one who made that city. You go through there, there are some very beautiful parks that he put in. 
Someone asked him a question one time and said, how much money is enough money? And he said this, just one dollar more. I mean, the man, the man had money he didn't know what to do with, but he's just saying, I, I, I want one more dollar. He lived his life like that. Um, that's not a way to live life. We ought to just simply go, the, the Lord is going to take care of me. And the, the lesson goes on because he says, not only do you say, okay, the Lord's going to take care of me, but what is my, my desire? Verse 31, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, give alms, provide yourself bags that wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approach, nor moth corrupt. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights be burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for the Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately." Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find them watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come into the second watch or the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not suffered his house being broken in. Be therefore ready also. For the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. He all of a sudden shifts this, and he goes from this. He goes, okay, you got these possessions, but he goes, where do you put your treasure at? Okay, really, what, what, what's going to last for eternity that will be yours for eternity? You go, those things that are in heaven. Starting in the kingdom of God when he sets up the ruling there and then the, the, eternal, the, the eternal heavens and earth uh, that will be there for us. You say this in that second to last paragraph, a follower of God seeks his kingdom and is willing to use and give of this world's good to serve him. And that's what he's talking about. I'm not anxious when I give up stuff to help other people out, to point people to God. It's part of what I'm doing in life. They continually look for his return if I believe there's a God in heaven and that I'm going to go and live with him someday, that this life isn't it, there is this element going, well, I could die today like the rich fool. This day my life shall be what? Required of me. I, I could be in the presence of God instantaneously. So I ought to live going, okay, this stuff that I have here could be gone, but there's something that I have that's eternal reserved in heaven, as First Peter talks about, uh, that fadeth not away, this inheritance uh, that is there in glory. And it's not that we're going to go in heaven and be basking and swimming in gold. You know, this is some of the things, concepts people get, you know, all of this. Think about this, the streets are made of gold, so it's not like it's really all that important. It's just that you have the opportunity to enjoy all the blessings in life, and they're, they're yours to use for all eternity, and to enjoy in the presence of God. Amen. It's not going to fade away. It's not going to disappear. So you ought to be people who are going, I'm not living for this life. I'm, I'm looking for someone to come, someone to take me out of here because there's a place that I'm going where the goods don't get stolen. They don't fall apart. I'm not having them stolen from me. And I'm going to be in the presence of God. I'm looking forward to that. And so what a servant of God's doing is going, I, I live in this life, I use my possessions, but I'm looking to be 
gone from here. It's a pilgrim mindset. You know, I'm just, I'm living here temporarily. The stuff that I have here, I really won't need eventually, but I'm just passing through and I'm going someplace else. And so the Lord goes from this whole, you know, beware of covetousness and kind of does a whole lesson for his disciples that he just simply says, get your focus on God and the things that are eternal. Don't set up and just say, I'm going to camp here in this life and get all the stuff I can. Not going to do you any good. So act as if you're going someplace where those goods are at. Now, this is a theme that is throughout Scripture. I have that last paragraph, and I think we're familiar with Matthew 6, uh, 20 through 33, which sounds very much like this passage. Realize when the Lord taught, he taught in many different locations, sometimes the same thing, just, you know, different format. But there's two other passages I want you to look at that just proclaim the fact that we ought to set our focus on, you know, God and go, this life is not it. There's more to this life. I want you to look at Colossians chapter 3. Okay, this is, I mean, these passages, probably ones you could quote, but this is a theme throughout the Scripture. Colossians 3.1. If ye then be risen with Christ. Well, what does that mean? I'm saved. Okay, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm part of his death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, that's what we symbolize by the baptism. I'm unified in Christ because I put faith in him. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things in the earth. For you're dead, your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. You're kind of going, well, that's what he's saying at the end. He's going, you know, look for the Lord to come back. When he appears, you're going to be in his presence. So you ought to be looking towards heaven rather than looking at the stuff here. Don't set your affection on this stuff. I mean, you can't enjoy it. You can't be a part of the things that are here. But you realize this isn't it. There's something far greater. And he says, the Lord will appear. You're going to appear with him in glory. I like that term glory because we really don't know what glory means. We kind of do, but you're kind of going, it's, it's beyond explanation. You really can't picture what it's like. It's, it's beyond your imagination what it's going to be like in that new heaven and new earth. Or then you have, and I want you to turn to the other passage that's listed here, James chapter 4. Now, I did find it interesting that in James chapter 4, we usually start in verse number 13, but coming from this passage where a man's demanding that Jesus be a judge... You know, you got to be my judge, divide things to me. Look at verse 12. James says this, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? (laughs) Um, Kind of hinting at that story, sort of, because you read the rest of this and it sounds like the parable Jesus told. Look at verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. The question is, whereas you know not what shall be on the, the, on the morrow? Do you know what's going to happen tomorrow, really? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Kind of like, thou fool, this night thy life shall be required of thee. No account of God, but all of a sudden God interferes. You know, I think he takes you out. What you ought to say, and this is what James says in verse, 16, or verse 15, for you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. 
You're still making plans. You're still looking at life and going, I've got to live in this life here while I'm here and use the stuff that I have. But I ought to have this as, a, as the, the caveat, if the Lord wills. Okay? If the Lord may put a roadblock in my plans tomorrow. You know, I'm going to plan this, and the Lord may have a different course for my day. Okay, so be it. There's a certain season for certain things under heaven. So it may be that the Lord goes, hey, this is the season for this, even though you were looking for this season to happen. Um, and so you have this that we say, if thou, o Lord, will, we shall live and do this and that. Verse 16, but now you rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. There's people rejoicing in all the stuff they have, and that's the most important thing. He says, that's, that's not good. But then this, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We use that verse in a completely different context, but it's not in this sense of saying, okay, God's got a part in my plans. Do you know there's such a thing as sins of commission and sins of omission? Sins of commission is me intentionally going, I'm going to go out and sin. There's other sins that you just fail to do you know, it's not that you, did, you did, did something, it's you just failed to do it. And really in the context of what the Lord's saying, you, you can go through life and make your plans, but for you to make plans without God, you forget the one very important individual in all this, it's sin. So, so live your life as if God plays a part and that your goods are not the ones that dictate to you, but your God dictates how you ought to live. So... Yeah, this section goes, you know, it's, it's a much broader section and it's not just merely this rich fool. And it, even actually, if you read further, and you can do this later, it seems like there's even a connecting thought with Peter's going to ask a question and it kind of connects with it, but it's not as close as connection is uh, quite the section here. So any questions this? We had some good questions and I answered some of them tonight before we even got them um, on this. But any thoughts as we go through thinking? Yes. thinking along this line, so it's interesting that you're speaking about, you know, how much do you need? Will God really take care of you? Should I hold on to this thing? Do I need this thing? God can take care of you regardless. Because you can get off on the things. You know, you can really get too focused. <coughs> um, it's good for us at times to reevaluate and go through and say, am I hoarding stuff? Really? Why, why do I have this stuff? Am I not trusting the Lord to go, you know, if I throw this out that, you know, I might need it, you know, 60 years down the line? Do you think the Lord's going to be able to take care of that 60 years down the line? You know, it's okay to get rid of it, give it to somebody else, give it to, you know, you don't have to hoard everything, you know. It, and, and when you've already been in a pattern of life, one salary, five kids, you got to make everything, you know what I mean? And it's not that way anymore, so. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you go through and you get to the point where now suddenly you're on the government, you know, Social Security, which is actually your money that you've been paying in for years. Um, but uh, it is, um, you know, you go, well, how do I make things meet then? You know, is the Lord really going to take care of me there? And the answer is, yeah, he's taking care of you. I mean, I, I like my dad's attitude on this. My dad was raised in a one-room house. His dad lost everything in the Great Depression. He was a farmer, had lots of uh, farmland, lost everything. His dad, for 
um, the first few years of his life, wandered the countryside on trains with a bunch of other guys looking for work projects to work on. That's how my dad lived. They're, they were excited when they got a new pair of jeans, which would have been a used pair of jeans, but most of what they wore were these coveralls that had patches on the patches on the patches. And my dad's statement on this is from Psalm 37. He says, I've never seen the righteous begging bread. You know, dad, dad had a good job. He, he went through college, uh, was able to pay for that, which was amazing on what he had as a kid. Um, and that, and got an engineering job, and for years had, you know, from a world standpoint, enough to take care of whatever. But his whole statement on life is, never seen the righteous begging bread. It's not that they're, they're rich, but the Lord takes care of them, and always does. And... Um, for that, and so you know, that's kind of a lesson that I learned a long time ago. That, that yeah, the Lord will take care of you, whatever your circumstances, are, whether it's a one-room house or, yeah. I was going to say, and we put God in a box so often for how He can provide. When our kids got ready to go to college, you know, I didn't work when they were growing up, and there was no big college fund. So it's like, well, we, took, we sat down and talked about it as a family, prayed about it, and said either you can take out student loans and you're responsible, or we can go month to month on faith. And they opted to go month to month on faith, and they both got through debt-free. And where the money came from, I couldn't go back and tell you, but get, that was God's will for their life at that time. And you can see that, because like back to couldn't have gone to Hawaii because of the cost of living, I'm just saying, you, you think it's got to be, you know, coming in here yeah. when God brings it in. In a different way. There. Brings it from a different source. Yeah, that Welsh scholarship fund. Yeah, yeah, that one, you know, I laugh about that one, but yeah, that ended up paying. <coughs> Being Welsh counts for something. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you, you, you more blessed to give than receive is the Lord's statement there in Acts 20 is that sometimes we go, I've got to hold on to this. And it's like, well, Lord, I'm more blessed because I'm giving to somebody else, encouraging them, but I also see the Lord take care. You know, there's, there's that element too. So, yeah. Yes. I have something I want to share. Okay, go ahead. He is the God of all. My God shall supply all your needs according to the riches and glory of my Christ Jesus. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. God is all-knowing, almighty, all-wise, all-present. God is able to make all grace about me for you and to always have all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. He is the God of all people. He is all in all to me. Yeah, he gives abundantly above all that we can ask or think, but he also gives us abundantly so that we can do good works. He can take care of us so we can do the things that we need to do. So, 